This week, we are running a special 50% off promotion for our NFL Starter Pack. Just in time for your fantasy football end-of-season push. For only $5, the NFL Starter Pack grants you complete access to all content on the Sharp Football Analysis site, including game previews, providing actionable information for betting props, fantasy, DFS on every single matchup, injury reports, waiver wire targets, and a deep dive into the referee assignments for the week. Along with that, every single Sunday morning, you're going to be sent our top player props of the week. Just Google Sharp Football, click on the website, Sharp Football Analysis, and then click on the blue banner at the top of the screen to get access. Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan underscore McChrystal. Also, be sure to subscribe to the Sharp Angles Podcast feed on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to your podcasts. You'll get all four of our weekly podcasts in that show, including this show here. We've also got the Sharp Waiver and Injury Show with Todd Burroughs, Tucker Bagley, and Curtis Hirsch. Sharp Angles with Dan Pizzuta and Rich Rebar, and also the Sharp Angles Fantasy Show with Rich and whoever his weekly fantasy guest is. Also, be sure to subscribe to Warren Sharp on YouTube for all of our fantasy football insight, matchup previews, in-depth stats analysis, and more. Now let's dive into some action. And of course, we usually like to start out by looking back at the previous week. And we had kind of a rough week last week, so I want to look back at one of the props that we lost last week and kind of analyze why we got it wrong and whether or not it's actually maybe something we should consider this week. So I want to talk about Tua Tungalavailoa's passing yards prop, which we lost last week. I, I suggested taking the under in that game against the 49ers, and he went over by a pretty good amount. He hit almost 300 yards. Let's pull up the exact numbers. Yeah, 295 yards last week, but he was 18 of 33, not an efficient day. His lowest completion percentage of the season at 54.6%. Obviously, he threw two picks in that game, took three sacks, saw seven sacks over the last two weeks. Um, so he didn't play that well, or not to his fault, I don't think, because I think Armstead's loss really was a big impact there. It was not an efficient passing day for the Dolphins. Um, and basically what I thought would happen did happen, but yet we still lost this prop. So I want to dive a little bit deeper to see what exactly went wrong and where we erred here. So basically what we expected was the Dolphins offensive line to really struggle without Taron Armstead at left tackle. Entering that game, they had allowed a 54% pressure rate without Armstead on the field and only 26% with him. So it's a good offensive line when he's out there and it's just abysmal when he's, he's not, they don't have the depth on the offensive line to lose him. So what happened in that game? basically what we thought would happen. They would have to adjust their passing attack. They can't expect Tua to drop back and take his time in the pocket without Armstead on the field. So they adjusted their passing game a little bit. They did lots of quick stuff. 61% of Tua's throws came in 2.5 seconds or less. That was his second highest rate of the season. When he did hold the ball longer, it didn't go very well. 5 of 13 passing on dropbacks lasting longer than 2.5 seconds. That was his first game completing under 50% of his passes when he held the ball for that long. And also when he faced pressure, it was a complete mess. Negative 15.5 EPA versus pressure. 
That was his worst of the season by a huge margin, almost triple his uh, next worst margin by that metric. So they had to adjust their passing attack. They did not protect him well. It was a total disaster when he was under pressure. So how did we still lose? I think what happened was I failed to account for the fact that the Dolphins were still going to pass the ball because of the 49ers run defense. I kind of assumed that they would lean a little bit more on the run game than usual and that they would do a lot of that quick passing stuff. Now they did the quick passing stuff, but they still abandoned the run game, probably out of respect for the Niners run defense. And then obviously late in the game, when the game got out of hand, they had to start throwing the ball more. So that was a little bit of a factor as well. Although Tua hit the over, he, he was on track to hit the over from pretty early in this game. I think we would have lose. I think we would have lost even if the game was relatively close. I think really the factor here was that they showed a lot of respect for the 49ers run defense. And they only ran the ball eight times this game where he Mostert had seven carries for 30 yards. Jeff Wilson one for three. So they just gave up on the run pretty much right from the start. And this was a relatively close game in the first half and they still were not running the ball. So that seemed to be a very intentional part of the game plan. They decided, obviously knowing that they weren't going to protect to it very well, they kind of abandoned some of those those opportunities in the passing game where he might sit in the pocket and take shots downfield more. They did a lot more quick stuff, obviously. And they just leaned on that the whole game. That was basically all they decided to do. Now, This week, they play the Chargers, one of the worst run defenses in the league. So I kind of think, even though we lost this prop last week, we might be able to use the same logic. If they're without Taron Armstead, we might be able to bet the under on his passing yards again because in this matchup, they're definitely not going to abandon the run out of respect for the Chargers' run defense. In fact, a stat that I reference a lot, the rate at which defenses allow three or more yards before contact, the Chargers rank dead last. And their rate of contacting the ball carrier at or behind the line of scrimmage, they rank 25th. So there are going to be open running lanes for the Dolphins in this matchup. And if they're struggling to protect Tua, it would seem like that would be the logical adjustment to lean even more heavily on the run game. And I think that they should feel really confident doing that because let's look at Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert when they avoid early contact, when they are are allowed to cross the line of scrimmage without contact. Mostert's averaging 6.7 yards per attempt. Jeff Wilson's averaging 7.6 yards per attempt. So this looks like a really good matchup for them. And knowing that if Armstead's not out there, they're not going to be able to protect Tua. I would expect in this game, not only when they pass, are they going to have to lean on the short passing game, the quick passing game again, like they did last week, but they're probably simply not going to pass as often just as an added protection for Tua. Just lean on the run game because you should be able to run the ball against the Chargers. In fact, even if they had a healthy offensive line, this should be a run-heavy attack because the Chargers' run defense has been so bad. And the Dolphins, that although their run game is kind of all over the map in terms of how they use it, they adjust a lot. It's been very good at times. When they've had good matchups, they've leaned on the run game. So I think we should feel relatively confident And basically using the exact same logic last week, even though it led us to a loss, I think we could bet the under on Tua's passing yards. I'd be willing to bet the under at 275 yards or higher. Now, using all of this same logic, we could also potentially bet the over on Moster or Jeff Wilson's rushing yards. A little hesitant to go there because who's going to get the touches? Obviously, this backfield is run somewhat similar to the way the 49ers offense is run, and we just kind of don't know who's going to get the touches. 
last week, obviously, as I said, they only had eight carries, but Mostert got seven of those eight. So I'd lean towards Mostert, but where's this line going to be placed? I'm not sure. It's been available as high as 70 yards this year. That's pretty aggressive without really knowing what his usage is going to be, how the touches are going to be divvied up. If it's available somewhere in the 50s or lower, which it has also been available in the 50s and 40s at times this year, I think if it's in that range, then I would probably take the over on Mostert's rushing yards. For Jeff Wilson, I think I'd have to just stay away based on the fact they only had one of those eight touches last week out of the backfield. That that makes me nervous that they're just going to lean on Mostert now, that he's the preferred option. Obviously, at, earlier in the season before Mostert was knocked out for a couple of games, that seemed to be trending in that direction, not quite to the extreme that it was last week. But So I think that my preferred angle here is to his passing yards under 275 yards or higher. If Mostert's line is available in the 50s, I would take the over. So hopefully we get the ability to bet both of those. Little, it's a little bit hard to predict. Tua's line is sometimes available higher than that. Mostert's line is also, or I'm sorry, Tua's line is sometimes available uh, lower than that, in which case, you know, maybe I would stay away. And Mostert, I mean, who knows? His line has been all over the map. But if it is in the 50s, I would be comfortable betting the over on Mostert's rushing yards as well. Let's jump now to the prop that we talk about every single week. It's the over on Nick Chubb's rushing yards. It's the Browns have the Bengals this week. I'm going to bet this line over at 19 and a half yards if we get that number it was at 20 and a half last week he hit the over with a 20 yard run i would prefer to bet it a little bit lower than that if it's available in the 20s again maybe i stay away but you know we've been betting this all season he's been incredibly productive the reason it was higher last week and the reason i was comfortable taking it higher last week is because the texans are terrible um they've given up big big gains to pretty much every running back in every game. So I felt really good about that matchup. Now the Bengals matchup is, you know, it's not a bad matchup by any means, but in general, I don't really want to bet over 19 and a half. And we often don't get the line at 19 and a half. That was the highest line last week that we've had for Chubb all season. So it probably drops down just because the Texans is kind of an extreme outlier in terms of their rate of giving up big garbage the Bengals are still a good matchup though so if, if we get this line at 19 and a half I'll happily take the over Bengals allow three or more yards before contact on 26 percent of carries by running backs that ranks 23rd in the league so you know again below average but not terrible not to the Texans extent they also only rank 27th in the rate of creating contact at or behind the line of scrimmage so they're not creating much early contact which can which really shuts down long runs to a high degree. And they're giving up three or more untouched yards at a high rate, which as we've talked about, it's about 80% of plays gaining 20 or more yards start with three or more yards before contact. So the Bengals ranking below average in that metric gives us a little bit of added confidence to Chubb. And as, as I've said, you know, he's just been so consistent. He's gone over 20 yards in 10 of 12 games this year, 14 of 16 games dating back to last year. If we just continue to bet this week after week in the long run, it's going to be profitable. Now let's hit on another prop that we talk about almost every week, and it's the matchup that we've been playing against the Patriots this year. We lost again last week by playing this matchup, and if you've been following along, the logic for us playing receivers against the Patriots has been that they use too high safety coverage at the lowest rate in the league outside the red zone. So what that does is it means there's fewer opportunities in the middle of the field against the Patriots a lot more opportunities on the outside of the field 
for the Patriots. So last week against the Bills, what we thought was the one player who seemed to have the biggest discrepancy in his usage rate against two high versus single high coverage was Gabe Davis. Now we ended up losing. He only had two receptions in that game. I wasn't too deterred by that, however, because he had seven targets and that was tied for his second most targets of the season. Two receptions on seven targets. I mean, that doesn't happen to receivers very often. I don't know what the heck happened there. More often than not, I think if Davis sees seven targets, that we're going to win that prop. So I think we played the we played this correctly. I think we had the right logic there. There wasn't really anything to us losing this bet other than a bit of bad luck. I mean, you're, you would certainly never bet on a player with seven targets only getting two receptions. So I think we had the right angle here. It was just sort of bad luck. So I'm going to continue to play this matchup when we have a respectable quarterback getting the ball to the receivers because as we talked about in last week's podcast we have aired a couple times by trusting some bad quarterbacks two of our losses following this prop have been one of them was when we trusted sam ellinger to try to get us the over on alec pierce's receptions that was a big mistake and then we also trusted zach wilson trying to get the over for garrett for uh, garrett wilson a couple weeks ago so in this matchup though they've got the cardinals and I'm going to bet the over on DeAndre Hopkins receiving yards. I think we should trust Hopkins to get the job done in this matchup. Hopkins is just, you know, he's he's really consistent. And when he gets opportunities one-on-one, and that's more likely to happen given the rate that the Patriots play single high coverage. And we can see that his usage is going to change just by looking at his target share. Since he returned to the lineup, Hopkins has a 28% target share against two high coverage, 37% against single high coverage and obviously that's because you're you're more likely to have one-on-one matchups in single high coverage when the cardinals have a one-on-one matchup for deandre hopkins they want to get him the ball it's really as simple as that and you know one of the concerns that we've talked about when we've played some of the better receivers against the patriots is obviously bill belichick is well known for wanting to take away your best weapon and obviously that's deandre hopkins I just don't think they have the talent to take away anyone's best weapon this year when it's a receiver like that on Hopkins level. Just look at the past couple of weeks. I mean, Stefan Diggs last week had seven receptions for 92 yards on Thanksgiving. Justin Jefferson, nine receptions for 139 yards. Obviously those are guys they want to take away. They're trying to take away those weapons, but they just can't, they just don't quite have the talent in the secondary to do that. So I'm not too concerned. I'm going to bet the over on Hopkins receiving yards rather than his receptions though because he is such a big play machine i mean he hit the over on his receiving yards last week despite being limited to what was i believe it was three receptions last week and he still hit the over due to some big plays because they're going to take shots downfield when he's in one-on-one coverage i think that even if we're stuck with sort of a fluky outcome you know if he's limited to three receptions on eight targets or something like that that would be an outlier performance for him but we could potentially still hit the over on his receiving yards if something like that happened because he is likely to hit a big play against the Patriots. So I would prefer to take his receiving yards. I'd be willing to bet the over up to 79 and a half yards. And that's right around the range where it typically has been for him since he's been back on the field this year. So we'll probably get an opportunity to bet that take the over on Hopkins receiving yards up to 79 and a half. Another similar trend that we've followed this year, we haven't bet it every week, but we've used the same logic a couple times betting receivers against the Dolphins because the Dolphins use that single high coverage rate at a pretty similar rate to the Patriots. Those are the two teams that are sort of outliers 
in terms of still leaning on single high coverage when most of the league has shifted towards at least more of a 50-50 split, some teams even going beyond that and really leaning into the two high coverage look. And it makes perfect sense. Their defensive coordinator, Josh Boyer, spent his entire NFL career in New England prior to joining Miami. So a lot of the same philosophies that these staffs employ. So in certain matchups, it seems to be favorable to um, take a look at how, how the Dolphins opponent spreads the ball around versus too high and single high coverage. And in this case, with the Chargers, we got some really extreme splits. Now, I'm only going to look at the splits since Keenan Allen returned, because obviously he's a big part of the offense. Since Allen has been back on the field, their target share breakdown versus two high coverage. Austin Eckler leads the way at 24%. Josh Palmer, 19%. Allen, 17%. So against two high coverage, when teams are really kind of taking away the deep ball, forcing you to throw to the middle of the field more, they're checking down more often, taking the easy stuff to Austin Eckler. Versus single high coverage, their target share breakdown. Palmer, 28%. Allen, 24%. Eckler, 14%. Huge swings. These are some of the biggest swings that we've seen for any team this season. I think, obviously, we see a big we see a big jump for both Palmer and Allen. I think I'm going to prefer to take Josh Palmer just based on the fact that, for one, even since Allen's been back, he's still leading the team in target share against single high coverage. Also, his line has been lower. It's been available at four and a half the past few weeks. Allen's line has been available at five and a half. So if those, if we get those same lines based on these trends, I think Palmer is pretty obviously the better option here. I still like Allen though at five and a half, I would consider playing both of them. And I think there's a good chance. I think there's a very good chance. We win at least one of them and pretty decent chance. We, we win both. So I think you could, you could certainly justify playing both as sort of a hedge feeling pretty good about your opportunity to, at least get one of those correct. And I I also think there's a great chance you get both because both of them see a really huge jump. Again, just to go over those numbers again, Palmer jumps from a 19% target share in two high to 28% in single high. Allen jumps from 17% to 24%. So a really nice jump in usage for these guys against the coverage that they're likely to see from the Dolphins. So I prefer Palmer if it's available at four and a half, um, but I would still take Allen even if his number is um, one reception higher than Palmer's. All right. So another trend that we've played a few times this season has been taking the over for running backs longest rush against the Texans. Obviously we already mentioned we took this last week with Nick Chubb and we had a winner there as he had a 20 yard run this week. Tony Pollard is the one who benefits from this. And I'd be willing to play this line up to 18 and a half for Tony Pollard's longest rush. If it's available at 18 and a half, that would actually be his highest number of the season on this prop so there's a decent chance we get it lower but as we talked about with chubb it seems like the odds makers are on to this trend and they are bumping up the numbers a little bit when teams play the texans because they're giving up long runs at a really high rate so i could get bumped up a little bit but even if it does i think there's a good chance it stays at no higher than 18 and a half and i'll still take the over at that number because this is just a pitiful texans run defense um you know, Pollard leads all running backs with 10.1% of his carries going for at least 15 yards. So he's been extremely explosive against everybody. When he's given at least three yards before contact, 31% of his carries go for 15 plus yards. He's extremely explosive when given that untouched yard at the line of scrimmage. And when getting those three untouched yards, 
16% of his carries go for 20 or more yards. So again, his line is often available at around 15 and a half, 16 and a half. Even if it goes up to 18 and a half, I'm comfortable taking it because of that rate, 16% going for 20 or more yards when he gets those three untouched yards beyond the line of scrimmage. The Texans, they're allowing three or more yards before contact on 29% of running back carries outside the 10-yard line. That's the third highest rate in the league. I think that there's that this is also a prop where you can kind of hedge a little bit by also taking Ezekiel Elliott's longest rush. His line is going to be lower. I think I would play this one up to 14 and a half. And it, as again, it's sort of a hedge because Houston's giving up long runs at such a high rate. I think if you play both of these, you're almost guaranteed to win one of them. Now, obviously winning one and losing the other, you're not going to fully cover your losses. But it's sort of a hedge because you're going to, you know, your loss, you're un, you're very unlikely to lose both. And you could certainly win both. Just last week, both of these guys had a run over 20 yards. They both hit their over last week. They could definitely do it again against an even a much, much worse Texans run defense. I was at the Colts last week. They've actually, prior to last week's game, had been one of the best run defenses in the league. So if the Cowboys were having success running the ball against them, we should certainly expect them to do so against Houston. So I'm as, as long as Elliott's line doesn't take a huge jump, because obviously he's less explosive than Pollard at this point in his career. But if his line stays below 15 yards, I think there's a really good chance both of them hit the over on their longest rush, because obviously they're both going to see a good amount of usage, especially if this game gets out of hand in the second half and all of the running backs start to see more touches in the third and fourth quarter. I think it's a good opportunity to sort of hedge knowing that you're very likely to win one of the two props and a really good chance you hit both because this Texans run defense is terrible. Another longest rush prop that I like this week, which sort of follows a trend that we've played earlier in the year is the under on Latavius Murray's longest rush. Obviously, if you listen to some podcasts earlier in the year, we started playing the under on Melvin Gordon's longest rush for a few weeks in a row. I think we had won maybe three or four weeks in a row before he got cut. And it basically boiled down to the fact that he was the least explosive running back in the league by a really high margin. It was something like 2% of his runs were going over 10 yards. Well, Latavius Murray is a little bit better, but not much. He's gained 10 or more yards on seven of his 104 carries. That's 6.7%. That ranks 46th out of 49 running backs in the league. Now, Melvin Gordon ranks dead last. He's not quite as bad as Melvin Gordon, but really close. And yet, for some reason, this line's been available kind of high. It was available at 12 and a half last week. He's only had two carries all year where he's gone over, where he's gone run for 13 or more yards. So if this line is available at 12 and a half, and again, bet it as soon as you see that line. That's... That's an easy win. He's not doing that with any type of consistency. If, if you bet that every week, you're going to profit over the remainder of the season. Now, it might drop. It should drop. It's got no business being at 12 and a half. I'll still take the under at 11 and a half because as we, as we laid out with some of those numbers, he is not, you know, he's barely getting to 10 yards at a rate that would make you think uh, that the line should be that high. So 11 and a half or 12 and a half, I'm taking the under where he just lacks any type of explosive ability. If it dropped all the way to 10 and a half, which would be a pretty big drop for it to drop two yards just in one week. But if it did drop to 10 and a half, that sort of falls into a range where it's matchup based. And he, he does kind of have a good matchup this week against the chiefs. The chiefs give up untouched yardage at a pretty high rate. They rank 26th in rate of giving up three or more yards before contact. So 
if it did drop to 10 and a half, I think I'll stay away. But this is definitely one that I'm going to keep my eye on. I'm really curious to see what the number is this week. If it's 11 or 12, again, obviously I'm definitely betting it. I'm going to pay close attention to where it is in future weeks because this could turn into one a trend just like it did with Melvin Gordon where we want to keep betting it every single week for a while because it does not look like he has the ability to break off long runs. All right, now let's talk about my favorite prop of the week. And this sort of follows a trend. We've played it once before on Thanksgiving. That's the over on Adam Thielen's receptions. Now this line is usually available at three and a half or four and a half. I believe it was at three and a half on Thanksgiving when he finished with nine targets against the Patriots. That was a very easy winner for us. Now, one of the reasons I like it, and this, this is a different reason than we played it on Thanksgiving, but one of the reasons I like it is in the first matchup against the Lions this year, the Lions doubled Justin Jefferson at an extremely high rate. And the Vikings talked about this after the game and how it was kind of frustrating, but that it did open up a lot of easy opportunities for others in one-on-one situations. He finished with six targets or six receptions on eight targets against the Lions. So it did lead to a boost in Thielen's usage in that matchup. The other reason that I like it, and this is where it mirrors our logic on Thanksgiving, because that was obviously when we played the when he played against the Patriots, we were looking at their coverage trends and how teams adjust. The Lions don't use single high coverage at quite the same rate that the Patriots do, but they are one of the teams that use it at a very high rate. They use single high coverage over over 50% of the time, and there's a pretty strong trend here with Adam Thielen. His target share against single high coverage this season has been 23%. Against two high coverage, it's 15%. So really noticeable difference. If we look, And then also, if we look at specific games where they've played these types of teams, the trend becomes really obvious. They've played five games this season against a defense using single high coverage over 50% of the time. Detroit falls into this. So that one game where he had six receptions on eight targets against Detroit, that's one of those games. The other was eight receptions on nine targets against New Orleans, four receptions on eight targets against Miami, six receptions, seven targets against Arizona, and then that Thanksgiving game, nine receptions on 10 targets against New England. So in those five games where defenses used single high coverage over 50% of the target, over 50% of the time, Thielen saw at least seven targets in every game. He finished with at least six receptions in four of the five games. So if we're seeing this line available at three and a half or four and a half, where it's been almost all season, at least the last couple of months, it seems like a really obvious opportunity for us to bet the over because the Lions are consistently playing single high coverage over 50% of the time. It's going to lead to a lot of one-on-one situations for Thielen, especially because they're also doubling Justin Jefferson at a really high rate. Now, another reason I like this is the Lions offense is just really clicking lately. The total for this game is set to 53 points, so we're expecting a high-scoring affair. The Lions are going to put pressure on Minnesota to move the ball. This could definitely be a very high-scoring game. Just to throw out one number to support this, the Lions have reached the red zone at the second highest rate in the league on their drives. And even if we just look at a sample size since they traded TJ Hawkinson before week eight, they still rate rank second in rate of reaching the red zone. So they're an extremely efficient offense. They're going to put points on the board against Minnesota. That's going to make Minnesota have to play a little bit faster, push the, push the pace of the game probably leads to even more opportunities for Thielen in this game, just because the game is going to be relatively high scoring, I would think. So based on all, I mean, that's a number of different reasons why we think Thielen's usage 
should get a boost in this matchup. So this is my favorite. It's my favorite prop of the week, assuming it's available at three and a half or four and a half, where it has consistently been. Even if the line jumped to five and a half, my confidence level dips a little bit, but I'm still going to take the over because I think this could be a game where they lean on Thielen a lot. Okay, now as always, we wrap up the podcast with some Thursday night action, and I don't have much for you this week, unfortunately. We got Raiders at the Rams. Raiders are favored by six, and I'm not touching anything Rams-related at this point in the season. They're a complete mess. They've thrown in the towel, um, and it's understandable given what their expectations were before the season, what their injury situation is. It's just a total mess. I don't know why they're even messing around with Baker Mayfield. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Just tank at this point and add a better draft pick and uh, you know, see what you can do next year. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. But if you want something in this game, I would guess I would take Josh Jacobs anytime touchdown prop. It's available at minus 145. This is really the only thing that I want to touch because, as I said, the Rams are just kind of thrown in the towel at this point. They're such a mess. So I don't really know what to expect offensively or defensively. Now, the defense hasn't been hurt quite as bad as the offense, but they are starting to go into the tank as well. Since week seven, the Rams have allowed opponents to reach the red zone on 40% of their drives. That's the worst rate in the league. So they're a mess on offense. They're starting to become a mess on defense as well. So... You know, I would think the Raiders are going to put up points, and so I kind of like this Josh Jacobs prop the most, his anytime touchdown prop at minus 145. Now, Devonta Adams leads the team in touchdowns, but only three of his 12s are in, 12 touchdowns are in the red zone. His touchdowns have really been on longer plays. The Rams do limit long plays at a relatively decent rate, so I'm, I'm a little bit less excited about Adams, I'm, and also the juice for that one is a little bit higher, so I'm less inclined to bet that. Jacobs has nine of the team's 16 red zone touchdowns, though. So based on this trend of the Rams allowing teams to reach the red zone at a pretty high rate, we think the Raiders should get there a few times in this game. Jacobs is accounting for more than half of their touchdowns in the red zone. So, you know, if if they're able to make two or three red zone trips, the odds of Jacobs scoring one is pretty high. And so, you know, this is certainly not one of my favorite props of the week. If it weren't Thursday night, I wouldn't be talking about it. But I want to give you at least some some option if you want to have some action while you're watching the game. This is the one prop that I would be willing to play. You know, the odds look pretty good, and at minus 145, it's not like you have to lay a ton of juice. So it feels like a pretty safe bet with at least you know some sort of decent return on it. So, you know, as I said, this is just this is a terrible matchup. You know, it sucks that we have to get this on on a Thursday night because it should it probably is not going to be a competitive game and it's certainly not going to be a uh, a lot of recognizable players out there for us to watch either um, but if you want something take the Josh Jacobs touchdown that's it for this week's pod hope you have a fun and profitable week 14. 